Profit premiered on April 8th, 1996 on Fox. Let's put a mammoth 90 minutes on the clock. And that's the premise behind Pilot Study. This is Pilot Study. My name is Chris Lantinen. I'm Grimes. And we love pilot episodes. We love those end of episode one twists. We obsess over how a show gets made and how it spends its, in this case, first 90 minutes with an audience. And joining Ooh. us once again is a very special guest. You'll know him from our episode on Clone High. He is a writer and a comedian while also hosting two podcasts of his own that you should check out. Number one, The Coolest Kids, and number two, Missouri Loves Company. Welcome once again to Brock Wilbur. Welcome, Brock. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey. Thank you for suggesting this show. It was a joy. <laughs> is, it, is it a joy? Uh, I mean, I didn't expect it to be 90 minutes. That's a pretty hefty dose of profit. Let's, let's, let's start there. The, like, this is the only pilot in history that's like, what if we just did the whole fucking movie? Let's yes, right, it right. really could just be a movie. But, Brock, this was your choice, and I couldn't be happier because there is so much to talk about here in it relation to the show itself, <laughs> its impact on television culture, and kind of what was carried over into, quote-unquote, peak TV. But what, I mean, first off, what made you want to suggest Profit, which is a one-season show? It runs for five episodes on Fox out of the nine hours that were produced. This pilot, as we said, is a two-hour broadcast time affair, 90 minutes without commercials. But what, I mean, what made you suggest this one out of all shows? Because I think I left it pretty open-ended, and this is what you fired back with. Uh, my friend Mike, uh, uh, who was a USC grad student theory guy, was like, hey, you love Brett Easton Ellis uh, when I got out of college. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I love drugs uh and uh he was like so fox tried to make basically an american psycho tv pilot and uh the degree to which it actually is american psycho is so weird because like it's made in 1996 and put on tv and it has all the aesthetics and choices of american psycho but several years before the mary heron film was made so it's basically working from the book and you have a patrick bateman but he's not an anti-hero so much as he's trying to be a hero, but like is still just crazy evil and having sex with his mom. Uh, it, like it's it's a show for no one, which is is it's, <laughs> it's, it's extra great now because uh, the sort of people that the Fox Network uh, makes heroes out of now are like this businessman was so smart because he did business, so like evil doesn't weigh into it, and and like it weirdly would fit with what they're doing now. But they they produced this ninety minute pilot and a couple more episodes of this thing that it, I don't even have a genre to apply to it. And and you're right, maybe peak TV is sort of the thing, but like Fox in 1996, 1997 was never the place for this thing to exist about having sex with your mom and trying to maybe murder people, but really murder them in an industry sort of way. Like the the, the yeah. disconnect uh. with him and the movie Psycho is is so limited to uh, but like it's it's also got this voiceover thing that should make it funny. It should make it funny, and it doesn't. Uh, it just sort of makes it that much darker. Uh, so it feels like it's somebody's like real first attempt at like what what would a dark what what is the darkest comedy we could make, and how can we pull it back a little bit? And every choice that they made to pull it back a little bit just sent it further into the minds of darkness and i don't i don't even know why it made it to the air or like who was like who eventually had to pull the cord on it but as it exists as a couple of episodes of tv which are available on dvd uh which i believe includes an episode or two at least that uh were never put online or uh, never put on 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 television uh 
it is just this this tribute to the idea that like anything can be a TV show, even if it is for no one, including the people making it. <laughs> yeah, it's um. Let's start on the mom note because I found a nice little bit of <clears throat> trivia here. This is of this is according to Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt. But apparently. On the audio commentary of the 2005 DVD release, the two creators indicated that, quote, Fox executives requested that the character of Bobby Stokowski be changed from being Prophet's biological mother to the somewhat less inflammatory status of being his stepmother. So he was going to fuck his biological mother, but somebody convinced them that that was a terrible idea and please change Tone it, it down. Please change it into the slightly worse idea or the slightly less worse idea of the stepmother. I can't even yeah. imagine. You'll still call her mom every yes. line. Like there's one line in this that they changed Hello, to make mom. it stepmother and that's the <laughs> end of it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure it was a voiceover. So who knows if they even have a filmed version of this pilot where he's making out with his mom, which I, I still don't quite understand. So he was, I mean, the, the mom the mom died, right? That's why the stepmom came into the picture. Isn't that correct? Right? Is yes. It, I think so. I think. <laughs> you I know, think. I'll be honest. I did not catch that. Detail, All right. Well, let's so, start. Let's uh, start with some specs, and then we can dive into the plot. So, I IMDb synopsis first up. Jim Prophet uses the death of a vice president at Grayson and Grayson, and every dirty trick in the book, plus a few tricks he invents, to position himself to assume the position of the dead man's boss jack walters so we have adrian pazdar as jim prophet he uh played a i don't know about about famously but he was a vampire in near dark the Catherine bigelow movie after the, after prophet he shows up in heroes he does a bunch of voice work for marvel properties um agents of shield 16 episodes of that so he has a very um he has a good voice, so he certainly utilized that throughout his career. Uh, the woman who plays Joanne, her name is Lisa Zane. Not a robust career afterwards, although she is in Freddy's Dead in 1991, and she is second build, so I assume she is final girl material. We have Lisa Dar, who plays Gail. Uh, TV work, mostly. She's in love, apparently. Also, uh, this is 40. Uh, the guy who plays Chaz, he has had a pretty successful career as a character actor. I believe it's Charlie... What's the name of the family again? Grayson, Charlie Grayson. Uh, he is a cop in The Dark Knight. That's what I immediately recognized him from. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, Keith Sarabica. Keith Sarabica, well, i pronounce one of those two ways, but he is also a voice in Star Wars Rebels, lots of other voiced work, uh, a very weathered voice, so very signature as well. And uh, I want to mention, oh, the music, because the music is very ridiculous. It's by a guy named Mike Post, and there's lots and lots of law and order in his future. As in <laughs> <laughs> 300 episodes of SVU, 192 Ooh. of Criminal Intent, so nearly 500 and I think he actually had some other Law & Order in there as well. So I bet you he's done <clears> 500 <throat> episodes of Law & Order at least. And uh, a little... All I can picture is that scene from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Where it's like, yes, that's what I said. It make it sound like yeah, getting your penis cut off would be a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is the Jason Siegel of composing careers. I'm sure he's thrown a chair at the screen a couple of times. Uh, <laughs> one little funny note about him. I was looking at the music breakdown on SVU of composers, and Mike Post has done three. 373 episodes through from 1999 to 2017 he has missed one episode it was in 2010 so he's only missed one episode of what i assume is the entire run uh mm. the show is or the show was directed the pilot that is by robert iscove and he has credits like she's all that and from justin to kelly and a bunch of tv movies so he primarily <laughs> in regard to feature films he primarily directed like teen dramedies, which is kind of interesting. Uh, so some history. So apparently this show is looked back on pretty fondly. Entertainment Weekly has it as their 14th ranked cult show of all time. Uh, For who? Uh, who even knows this exists? It's no <laughs> one. <laughs> the Entertainment Weekly writer, I guess, they said while the series pitch black tone and unapologetic anti-hero might have caught on with audiences today, Back in 1996, it was good for only eight episodes. Still, the weekly image of Prophet laying his head to rest inside a G&G &G cardboard box, a leftover 
habit from a disturbing childhood remains emblazoned in our heads more than a decade later. So I've got some more history stuff, but I, th I think we should just move on right into the show. Grimes, what are your initial opinions of profit before we before we dig really deep? <coughs> I know you were having trouble, came into the notes to see kind of what I was grasping onto and then kind of moved, mo moved further. Right. I got about 20 minutes in and I just was not, nothing was clicking with me. I thought about starting <laughs> it completely over, you know, I just, I didn't want to give up on it. Cause I'm like, all right, Brock, you know, we seem to all have similar tastes. Oh, I he like wouldn't... that. I cashed in my like credit with you on this one. Like, okay, <laughs> no, no, no. I just figured him, I'll give between it a the try. Two of you, 90 minutes. <laughs> but between the two of you liking it, I figured it was just me. So I took a pause and I read over the notes and everything. And I, my first thing was the uh, staff of Dexter plagiarized so much of this apparently because it just looks like the whole beginning and this, the voiceover thing. And there's even a couple quotes like, Sure, Chris and I uh, talked a little bit about that, but um, my initial thing was I was very confused and I didn't know what was worth paying attention to or not because everything was just kind of this like thrown at you. Yeah, yeah, and the same on the same note of Dexter and kind of these future shows, maybe not taking from profit, but certainly playing within the same ball fields, you know. And I've, yeah. I've written down in my notes that Prophet seems to be kind of the sacrificial lamb leading to peak TV. You know, shows like Home right. Catch Fire, at least season <clears throat> one, Breaking Bad, Mad Men. Prophet's failure seems to be their gain. You know, and I'm not sure if when they were constructing these shows, they had seen Prophet, they, they had cared about it, they had cared about its plotting in any particular way. But if you look at um, Jim Prophet's history, name change, family issues, the family member coming back into right. the picture, all I could think about was Don Draper and Dick Whitman. If you think about the kind of first day wreckages left behind by Prophet, all I could think about was Joe McMillan and Halt and Catch Fire. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it seems like this kind I, I, of. Even on rewatch, I still lost my mind at the point where he's like, yeah, so you have another last name? And it's just like, wait. Jim Prophet isn't <laughs> the name of the businessman <laughs> who's evil. <laughs> like, who could have called that? Like, right. the fact that it's a, also a plot point is <laughs> so upsetting. It's really weird that he made a fake name, yet the fake last name is his, like, objective. You right, know, it's that, like what? if somebody in Halt and Catch Fire was like, I'm Joe Computer. Who are you? This is Jim Prophet, Chez, new junior VP, taking over for Wayne. First day? Yes, sir. Mary, you got a minute? I didn't know you had company. Jim, come on in. I don't believe you've met our local inquisitor, Joanne Meltzer. This is Jim Prophet. Oh, Jimmy. Was it the first show to center around a bad guy? No, but it's just in that graveyard of early anti-hero shows before audiences could officially latch on to this idea and have it beaten into the ground within them, you know? I think... Uh, Go ahead. I think like Brock said too, uh, network T if there was a place for this thing, which there probably wasn't in 96, but it definitely wouldn't have been network TV. Yeah. You'd want to, you know, and apparently you did say it was pitched to Showtime and other places, but it is a shame almost that it did end up on Fox. At least it ended up on Fox and not ABC or something, but like, <laughs> but, um, you yeah, know, you wanted I, on a network where a 90 minute episode would, yeah. you know, make sense. <laughs> even HBO, maybe, you know, they'll stick with shit for a while, even if it's awful. Well, Fox was taking, I think they were taking more chances than other networks at that time. Sure, I mean, sure. They, they That's had, how it even got made. At they all, had Married with Children. They had, I, at this time, I think they have the X-Files already. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, like late, mid to late 90s seems but right I mean, for that. Like a darker, more adventurous version of... Um, version of uh, the twilight zone was would certainly i think be a risk yeah. for a network especially especially a non-cable network you know and people don't like incest though and no they don't like that <laughs> it's, it's never gonna come I like into that you deliver that like a throwaway line like you know and we haven't addressed the elephant in the room and the <laughs> elephant is fucking its mother this is 
Why, why does no one want this? Uh, a little more history. The pilot was written in 1993, and uh, there's this there's this interview with the lead guy and the two creators that aired on French TV because apparently in France the show was super popular, or at least during oh the time God, that it ran. Oh uh, I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. I believe one of the creators stated it's a hit quote in one country throughout the entire world, and I assume it was France because they were on a, on French TV getting interviewed there. But uh, they said it was written in 1993. There's this 20 minute interview and they they explained the situation in, in which they went into a network that shall remain nameless. And two minutes into the pitch, the um, executive there stopped them and asked if the mother the mother kiss is going to be fake. Right. That was the question they asked. They thought it might be <laughs> a dream sequence or, you know, something like that. And once... I, I, the mother kiss is going to be fake. It just sounds like the password <laughs> that you use to open up a genie lamp or something. That's not a sentence that anyone's ever had to say. To get access to the dark web. So uh, once he found yes. out that once he found out that the kiss was real, uh, according to them, they were kicked out of the office immediately. So and then they said we, that they knew they had something if it pissed that network that that network executive off that much. And apparently, most of the audience was turned off by the mother's kiss. Like, whatever. Um, what's like the ratings? What's the TV ratings? Nielsen. Nielsen. Uh, apparently, when they got Nielsen research back, many changed the channel after that happened. So hmm. <laughs> it was. I mean, do you? Th- do we think if the mother if the mother thing was not part of the plot, does this get a full season run? Was that the only thing holding this back? Did that take it too dark? Was no, I don't think weird? so. I don't think so. Is there anything else in this show that would get them kicked out of the office immediately? Like the cardboard box, maybe? I mean, I have nothing. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea how it made it. It, it, into the room for the pitch meeting. That right. part doesn't even make sense. The cardboard the box that, like, is A year later, shit, it's on the air and has multiple episodes. That this wasn't just one of history's great, like, one episode and immediately canceled things is bewildering. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the in the same interview, they said, like, 18 people watched it in the United States and they were all critics and they all liked it. And, I mean, every re- <laughs> every review that I read is positive. Like, uh, Howard Rosenberg, who I, th- I think this was in the New York Times, said, oh, no, the Los Angeles Times, excuse me, uh, said, can a weekly drama about a homicidal superheel have a future in primetime? Think so. Well, what if this twisted psychopath spends much of his time at home creating evil schemes in front of a computer while, um, nude? A bit more problematic, perhaps. But he liked it. It was a positive review, and all the reviews I'll read at the end from Los Angeles Times once again, Salon, The New York Times, Entertainment Weekly. Entertainment Weekly named it their number eight show of the year in 1996. Only airing five episodes. They named it their number eight show of the year. I'm confused by every part of this. <laughs> This was like a yeah, critic. Someone at Entertainment show. Weekly loves that thing. I mean, this, this feels like maybe in 1996, all these critics were like, you know what? I just got to say I like this to show that I'm smart enough to get it and also like counterculture enough. But like, who, who actually likes this? Well, I'm so I'm so bewildered. This was so buried that four episodes were never seen until the DVD. Like mm-hmm. until 2005, there were four episodes that never were seen by human eyes, which is just insanity to me. Only five episodes got on TV. It's not like they ran them off later that summer. They banished it, you know, because (laughs) it was so fucking insane. I mean, it really is a crazy show, like we were talking about, and the audience won't know this because I doubt our audience is going to sit down and watch this 90-minute pilot. But a big part of this is this childhood trauma that Jim has suffered where his father placed him in a card or kept him in a cardboard moving box which coincidentally is belonged to the same company that he eventually works for and tries to take over but but so they keep him in a moving box and they kind of treat him like an animal right they just kind of toss food in there um, clean it out once a week he's basically treated like an animal within the house but there's a hole in the box and through this hole he can watch tv so I don't know. Does anybody have any inkling of what they're trying to say about television? Because they're trying to say something about television too, right? The same, the, the same yeah, way, like the, so. same, the same way, like American Psycho is trying to say something about, 
you know, the corporate lifestyle, right? I think, maybe. I, I kind of uh, drew some parallels between that and uh, The Cable Guy starring Jim Carrey. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Nice. I'll, because I'll absolutely take that. <laughs> it's just like, like a lot of parents starting in the 70s when everyone had a TV and it wasn't just for rich people and it was in color and you started to get channels and shit. Like, it's like um, in Freaks and Geeks as well, Bill, every day after school, he's raised by the television. I, I think like there's a couple, we're on like our fourth or fifth generation now being like raised in front of some kind of screen mm -hmm. so in 96 tv was still the big bad wolf i guess because the internet was so shitty like no one was rebelling against dial-up you know so <laughs> seems like there was some there was some kind of like uh comment commentary on yeah. television being bad for I, you or, i mean on television of course in Hackers, Angelina Jolie does ask uh, the male lead if he can handle a 28 8 uh, bod modem. Like, I guess that's the closest we get to the challenge of dialogue. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, I guess what I thought they were trying to say was like, if you're raised solely on TV, if that's all you could see out of whatever movie, whatever your personal moving box is, right? Because it's obviously quite symbolic. This is what you would grow up to be, a sociopath. You know, you would talk to cameras. You know, your environment would seem as if it has cameras within it. Because at, at the one point, Brock, the scene you point out, when this fight occurs and the guy throws the magazine at the camera, I'm totally confused by like what role the camera is supposed to play in this show. Right, because they kind of don't stick with it consistently, so you aren't sure, like, wait a minute, is this... It feels physical you know. at one moment, and then it disappears, and it's more yeah. into typical network fare in terms of look and feel and everything. But I I mean, obviously, I would argue that his craziness comes more from the fact that he was trapped in a box. But I think the point <laughs> they're, they're trying to make is, like, if all you could watch is TV, this is what it teaches you, how to destroy other people. You know, uh -huh, I, I guess, pretty much. I guess, I mean, I, I suppose we should talk more about the plot because we haven't, we've, we've talked about little tiny. Well, what is it, the plot? The plot to me is Jim Prophet <clears throat> arrives at a new business, a new job, um, G and G, right? Gracie and Gracie and attempts to destroy individuals on his way to the president of acquisitions, the senior president of acquisitions, right? Of course or something he like works that. in mergers and acquisitions, right. like everything's lifted, it's fine. <laughs> and we don't even know what, we don't really know what G&G &G does. Like we know that they buy companies, but is there any inkling of anything else that they do? Well, I, I didn't catch what anything. We, what we do is is the, the premise of this episode, which is that they released a baby apple yes. juice yes. with no apple juice in it. <laughs> I and know, it's that's ridiculous. like the fucking evil plot of the pilot <laughs> is this apple juiceless apple juice for children. And everyone in this company had to pick either the side of profits or the side of babies. Uh, and what a weird, obvious way to draw the line down the middle of these characters. Yeah, that is like the, that's the moral battle, battleground. If Jim Prophet existed in 2017, his head would explode from how much evil there was on a day-to-day -day basis. G&G &G recently acquired a baby food company called Baby's Finest. whose apple juice, according to the AP files, is really nothing but sugar and water. Now, there was a lot of heated correspondence between our president of acquisitions and the CEO of Baby's Finest. Should G&G &G add real apple juice? The CEO's decision, no. Too expensive. The problem with cutting corners is it always comes back to haunt you. So, yeah, he's just basically going through, destroying these individuals, um, beginning with a secretary who has quite the character arc within these 90 minutes. First, she is terrified of Jim Prophet. Then she has her life basically destroyed by Jim Prophet. Then she turns into a criminal. And then they become friends, right? They're like kind of chummy. Kind of? They're like kind of like, look, hey, we're look, partners this is in a crime. Case identify, like very early on in this, that uh, this is a, it, in so, it, insofar as much as if you were going to base a show of, Brady Snell's American Psycho as a novel, and you haven't seen the way that Mary Heron uh, treats it in the movie with this unreliable narrator thing to present just sort of everything, and then you're left up to decide what it is. Uh, this show takes the perspective that Jim Prophet is the main character, and kind of everything that he wants to do happens. Uh, and there are forces that allow us to visualize things outside of his reach. 
that he still has some sort of uh, ability to manifest. And what that is takes the form of in the show is this weird, like virtual reality computer sim that allows him to zip and zoom <laughs> around the office. I uh, think the Unix environment from Jurassic Park, right. but with like lawnmower man people uh, in it on top of it. It, but it also like leaves his perspective so that people can plot against him. And even in the pilot, people are already being like, we found him out. He's a fake and a liar. And he comes back from those things. So it's never it's it's it is control. It's a, a universe controlled by this character who's a sociopath. And we leave his perspective enough to to know that this is actually happening, which is somehow much more disturbing, but also betrays the fact that maybe the people that made this didn't understand how to do this in a way that might uh, toe that line between like, what if this is all just in his head or not? Uh, and instead just made a world that bends to his whim. So like these things with, with his secretary, no one's motivations outside of Jim Prophet's motivations make any sense. And Jim Prophet's motivations are profit basically and nothing else. Uh, and so the fact that he has these interpersonal relationships uh, just becomes bewildering at one point he has this girl that he's seducing uh, and in his voiceover he says uh when you want to sell <laughs> you want someone to love you you open your heart when yeah. you want someone to be obsessed with you you close it great, uh, and great then quote. he just keeps making dates with this girl and like kissing her and like having sex but then disappearing and it doesn't go anywhere it doesn't mean anything but you get the idea that she is now beholden unto him because that's what he said was happening. Uh, and that's what makes so much of this show like nearly impossible to watch is that a, a bad evil character is in control, is the God of this universe. And there's no one to second guess or to possibly stop him. So what ride are we even along for? There's so many, there's, there's just no answers to any of this. Well, on one note on that, the women, the female characters in the show are treated like total garbage with the exception what? of the investigator. The investigator is competent. She sees right through Prophet's bullshit. But the rest, like you say, just bend to his will, bend to these... I mean, they want him to be like the Joker. They want him to have like these like Dark Knight Joker where his plans are like 10 steps ahead for some reason. They want him to have these elaborate plans that fall into place in, in only such a way that a genius or sociopath could design them, right? Yet his plan, I mean, the major issue to me is that his plans aren't very good. He gets caught immediately. <laughs> he gets caught immediately. <laughs> None of this is clever or challenging or interesting, yeah. Like, the investigator finds out who he is within the first episode, which it may just be a pacing problem. Like, they should probably find that out around episode three or four or five or whatever, or in the finale. But they find out who he is immediately, and he has to, like, do some, like, crazy, get really lucky within the hospital, kill your dad routine to kind of keep his charade going. Like, if he didn't jump off the ledge, if there was no ledge to jump off of, like, Joanne would have caught him, right, in the hospital. <laughs> he's just—he's not—he's not a very good schemer. Yet he sits around nude and like blows people's bodies up, lawnmower man style, like you said, and like has that weird 3D rendering. Was that what he was stealing from the boss's computer? There's so many unanswered questions to me. Like, well, I, I, why I, do they have I, that rendering? I was worried that I missed it, even on like my 18th rewatch. He does like blow people up in VR. But it's just like a cut to commercial thing. And I was like, wait, did he actually just murder somebody? Is that how we're seeing this? And, oh. and that gets into the thing that like this show, despite the it does all these trans transgressive things. Uh, it feels like murder is the one line it won't cross uh, for, for a lot of the pilot. But he does all these things that like imply murder. Like he takes his mom and gives her an apartment. <laughs> but he's like, you know what's great about this apartment? Like you, somebody could get murdered here and no one would ever know. Like I could probably fire a gun and no one would hear it. And he just keeps listing off ways. Like he might as well be doing ACDC's Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. Just listing off all these murders. Like <laughs> And that thing, also no one would know about that too. But then he doesn't. Like it's just... The, like the, it, I, it's such a weird the places that they drew lines in the sand on this show for what was acceptable and what was not are just arbitrary they rolled dice and then they changed them later 
Yeah, I mean, they want him to be, they want him to be a genius, and he just doesn't. And that's like the main, that's the main problem to me. Like the creators. What, what happens when you write a show about a genius, and your writers are not themselves geniuses? Right, and like the whole like talking to the camera thing is such a shortcut to genius. You know, it's such a television short, uh, such a television shortcut. They do the same thing with Francis Underwood and House of Cards, which obviously is a show nobody wants to talk about right now. But the parallels are just unavoidable. You know, the the um, main character talking to the camera, talking to the audience, kind of letting them in on his plan is the same thing you see used over and over again within that show, especially on the first season and especially within the first few episodes, so that you don't have to... It's exposition without having the exposition written into dialogue. You know, it's, just, it's the shortcut. It's like when Community made that episode that made fun of The Office... And yeah. uh, those types of shows. And Abed was basically taking shots at the shortcuts of exposition that those formats allow. This is their shortcut. You know, we're going to have him be so crazy that he talks to the camera that isn't there. But it's kind of there because somebody throws a magazine at it. So I don't know. Like, again, the camera positioning and physicality is um, confusing. Uh Grimes, I, I feel like we completely abandoned this like description of the plot, and but I also wonder if people get get it in general. An, yeah. an asshole moves into a company yeah. and then does asshole things to people to try and rise up in the company. It's not a new story. Exactly, no. destroys people on his way up. At the end, he um, one of the people he destroys has come back through some convoluted plotting that we don't really need to describe. Um, he the the person Jack Walters, who is a pretty main character, has teamed up with Joanne to invest investigate him join Meltzer and he works his way back into the company so Jack Walters still is over top of profits and that seems to be the battle uh, they are setting up again I don't know if I've confused the audience more <laughs> if I've if I've illuminated anything but your your description's apt Grimes I have something very special for you right. <laughs> okay. I have something very special for you so last right. episode, we did our power moves, power rankings, which are like, you yes. know, things white businessmen do to seem uh, to seem powerful. So um, <laughs> last time we had Joe McMillan. He was playing baseball indoors, um, <laughs> stealing parking. Empty spaces. apartment. Yeah. The empty apartment is like a power move Hall of Fame, you know, type of thing. So here I've got five for you. And you tell me if they're, you know, kind of in the right order <clears> or if you have have any uh, discrepancies. Okay. So number one, eating chicken off the bone shirtless. Anytime <laughs> you're eating chicken off the bone, you have no shirt on, grease going everywhere, I consider that a power move. Number two is, <laughs> have, is the, is the all-fruit breakfast. Now, let me describe his breakfast for you, Grimes. Uh, he had a, a whole banana, all right, not even sliced, <laughs> just a whole banana, banana sitting on his plate. He yep. had, he had a kiwi, which is a total rich guy fruit. We know this. Um, he had a coffee and an orange juice. I mean, doubling up. He doesn't give a fuck. And then he had one more. Let me see. I actually wrote down everything in his on his plate, so I, I got to break it down for you to totally here. Oh, three slices so, of melon. In some, three in some ways, that's melon. the most serial killer move. Like, look, I wrote down every food I saw in this 90 minutes. <laughs> Sorry. We I'm act like serial killers a lot. On <laughs> hey, three pieces of melon. That was important. He doesn't take a bite out of any of it. Because as we find out sure. later, he only eats within his uh, cardboard box, apparently. Uh, number three, sauna business conversations. So anytime you're eating, oh, in, okay. anytime you're having a business convo in the sauna. Number four, this was a surprising one, but drinking heavily during a tennis match. Like you don't, you give no fucks whatsoever. You are being athletic, and it's not like he's drinking whiskey like a Don Draper move, he is drinking straight, like a tall glass of beer, which really fills you up. That would be hard to compete on. Especially when doing activities like tennis. I mean, that's a that's a brutal struggle. Yeah, and you're drinking oh. big swigs of beer. Uh, Bud Light or Miller Light, I forget which one, had, a, had an ad campaign like two or three years back that just showed a bunch of people like a, a hot couple that goes out for like a... <laughs> oh, it was, it's Michelob Light. They go right. out for like a long run, and it's them running up a mountain. And as soon as they get back, the first thing they do is like Ugh. crack open a Michelob Light. And I was like... I've never gone for a run and been like, I just got back. I still can't breathe. You know what I want? Just like some shit beer. Just yeah, throw it gross. down my face. As a runner, that is not what you want when you come back. That's why people, no. when they, they do these beer miles and they just end up throwing up at, after like lap two. 
Uh, and number five, I don't really know how to describe this one, but anytime he would be in the nude um, working on his computer and destroying people, he would have like really messy hair. I don't know if anybody else the caught craziest, this. craziest like Rick Sanchez hair. Like straight and, up. Like he's not the guy. <laughs> Like I'm, mm-hmm. so, I'm so crazy that I, I, I don't even need gel for this. That's all. I don't even I fuck with hair when I'm on. I wipe all that chicken time. grease into my hair because <laughs> right. I'm naked and doing computer, and the computer isn't phased by the grease or like it's so bewildering. It's like, hey, you know what? When I'm talking to a computer late at night, let's just make me visually look like an asshole, like <laughs> in a different, <laughs> in a different mad scientist way. Can we also talk about, uh, I believe his name is Pete Grayson. He is the, um, the drunk brother. Well, if you're done looking at her tits, I'll take a check. God, Pete. Who has the wife, Nora, who, um, Prophet is hooking up with and who said, he says the, uh, heart line about. He goes from like normal to shit face drunk so so quick like at the so ten- at the tennis club he gets in a fist fight and by the time he's like on the ground he has to be helped out by jim prophet and then the worst one is at the restaurant where he like mocks the waiter and he seems fine and then he's passed out drunk to the point <laughs> where prophet and his wife are making out on top of him and he doesn't notice this guy goes from zero to 100 pretty quickly he goes from zero to to like negative zero (laughs) uh let's do some random notes i've already kind of been getting into it but uh brock what do you got for random notes and just some things that you want to bring up uh but i i appreciate that when he gets found out the guy running the company approaches him and is like hey dickwad i caught you and his line to to profit is get your resume in shape and then get a good lawyer. And I've been fired from a number of jobs, but no one's ever been like, better make sure you update your LinkedIn. Cause like, like, like it shows a weird yeah. concern for him. Like I do hope you're employable you're in the fucked. future. And also there's like, uh, he takes, he takes this lower level guy in the company and puts him in charge of like trying to find his dad. Uh, and this guy at one point just turns to him and was like, Mr. Prophet, I'm just real impressed with you because the guy thinks that the reason that they're investigating and trying to find this person is that he's like one customer amongst millions. And so he has this like monologue of Prophet about like, I'm just so impressed that you care so much about a customer. He's like, uh-huh, and like winks at camera. And you're just like, who is this for? Like none of these jokes work, but also this character is wholly unbelievable. Like I know that I've been like private investigator stalking a dying old man for like a week now, but like, gee, Mr. Prophet, you're real good at the business. Doesn't he have to fill out like some kind of productivity report? Like Prophet gets there like day one. He's already like enslaved and underling and is like making him do his bidding. Like, wouldn't the young guy ask like one, who is that guy? That just commanded me to do this. And two, what exactly am I doing? Like, don't people talk? Don't they have a water cooler? Don't they have a break room? Like, wouldn't like people start to assume that this prophet guy is pretty strange? He doesn't make think. he doesn't make very many good moves. Like in my notes, I have that, you know, the first meeting, like when he gets there for his first day, and they have that opening meeting, and it's about the apple juice, and then he lines he lines up his entire plan, like including some very specific weird details about blackmailing the secretary like he just seems to be getting too specific like too cocky he's like entire yeah. he's really suspicious throughout that entire interaction and he thinks he's being smooth so again it's like this guy thinks he's the joker and yet he is getting uh, immediately getting caught and I, I love the line <laughs> i love the line how like it's his first day and um chaz says you know what that makes you the only person in this room i can trust because profit, <laughs> profit, that's the perfect cover you know keep going brock Oh, I, I, I think my last uh, – there's, there's two last ones, and they're both uh, directed to the same woman. Uh, the first is he uh, does the uh, Lovers and Mad Men speech from Midsummer's Night's Dream, uh, and, and this girl's like, yeah. that's from Midsummer's Night's Dream. And he's like, oh, you know it? And she's like, it's my favorite play. And he goes, oh, really? As if no one's ever fucking read Shakespeare. It's so it's so otherworldly, like yeah, they might like as well a- have done Our Town. It's not like a like a um, a smaller author or anything. He didn't have to do any research. He could just assume that she's an English lit major. She would probably like Shakespeare. Yeah, you would think. <laughs> and then know. later, uh, they're starting to hook up, 
and he pulls the ultimate fuckboy move where he's like, <laughs> no, not here, not now. I want it to be perfect. And she raises no eyebrows about that. I was like, cool. Well, let's do the sex later, you know, in your situation. And and just that I want it to be perfect line is so only 1996 can get away with this. <laughs> what? I've never cheated on Pete before, not once. I don't care anymore. Mm. No. Not here. Not now. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, he, uh, that's, that's a good, that's a good way of putting him, the ultimate fuckboy. That's basically what he plays the entire time. Uh, Mommy Needs Her Bad Boy, that's another line that I, uh, wrote down for some punishing reason. Uh, the, uh, the exposition machine of talking to the camera is paired up with the mom. You were always very mature for your age and got some childhood trauma. Um, or, you know, there's some childhood trauma set up in there within the lines. And, uh, it's just like, okay, we get it. Like she is the exposition of this episode. We don't need to go any further. We know that there's childhood (laughs) trauma. They just, everything about this show is laid out in the first episode and, you know, they have 90 minutes, so it'd be weird if they didn't. But uh, <laughs> um, we also have this this weird scene where, like, tell me if this is convoluted. The investigator, Joanne, has a dream where she's getting choked out by Jim Prophet. I keep saying his full name. I'll just say Prophet. In the hallway at the job, nobody's paying attention. And she's scared of him because he his eyes remind her of her sister, who also abused her growing up. I mean, do we need this complicated of a plot? Like, no, he, you can just definitely not in the pilot. He's clearly a murderer. He's clearly a murderer. She could just say that something's off about him, and then he knows about the sisterhood trauma, even though she didn't even tell like her former lover. So it's not like it's like published. It's not like it's a police record. So he somehow knows about the sister. He knows everything. You know, that's like another one of these um, shortcut genius to genius, things. yeah, style yeah. moves. Is like they know everything, even things they would, they have no right to know. Like even things that are unknowable, they know. You know, like her no. favorite, her favorite play is *Midsummer's Night Dream*. How did he find that out? Did he read her diary? Like, did he break in and like steal her childhood diary? I don't understand how he knows this stuff. Did you go with one of the most beloved pet plays of all time and just hope? I, I think he looks, I think <laughs> he sees guess. it on a bookshelf, actually, uh, I, which makes it even worse. Like, yeah. I, he is in her, like, weird library apartment, and yep. then he just says that over no, out of nowhere, which he might as well just start quoting the lyrics to Psycho Killer by the talking heads, like, oh, lovers <laughs> and madmen? Maybe I'm both, you see. Like, it's just <laughs> so on the nose and terrible. <laughs> Has there ever been like a spoof? Has there ever been a spoof of like a peak TV show, like the anti-hero spoof show? Because I feel like oh. they would be able to take a, a ton from profit that they would be able to utilize and weaponize. Well, you know what? You know what did that well was better off Ted. Mm. Yes, that is spoof like. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he works at he works at an evil corporation. He's a bad guy doing bad things, but he's. He is a good person, and he has a daughter, and he cares about her, and they circle back to that every week. That's the one with the um, with Lindsay from Arrested Development, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. And okay. she's she's the actual evil boss, and he has to sort of placate her while also not making like uh, pumpkins into working grenades for the U.S. military. Like it is, <laughs> it is a genuine evil corporation thing. I do, uh, I do remember that as her follow-up to Arrested Development, because I was so into that show, and when it got canceled, I was just kind of waiting for them all to pop up in various and locations. And that's one of my favorite comedies of all time. It is a laugh a second, like, just a great show, but it is very much about, like, this guy is technically a bad guy. He is, he is working from the inside to undo bad things, but he still works at a paramilitary organization, essentially. <laughs> Quick side note on Arrested Development alumni. Have you guys seen Ozark? Have you guys watched any Ozark? I watched the pilot. (laughs) I watched two-thirds of the pilot after stopping it, like, twice. (laughs) Not a good Which now I live in Kansas City, so I'm right near there, and the wife loved – she's watched the whole show, and she's like, you know where I want a vacation? Though I was like, I get it. We have to launder some money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that and The Gift. He's pretty good in The Gift, too. I love Bateman. He's got some dramatic chops. Um, a couple more things, then I'm going to shoot it over to you, Grimes. 
so much Dirty. loud kissing. Like the, the kissing in this show is loud beyond irritating. It would it's it's almost like it almost makes me want to bury the show just based off that. Like the loud kissing just drove me crazy. Everybody sloppy kisses all around. Practice before you do it on camera, please God. Also, how, how have we not talked about the fact that Prophet lights his dad on fire? He lights his dad on fire. That's insane. <laughs> he lit his dad on fire. He chained him to a bed, probably covered him in gasoline or something, and turned him into Two-Face. He looks like Two-Face. Half of his face is scarred and, like, unrecognizable, but the other half is fine. So he apparently poured gasoline down the center of him and lit him on fire. That was the most bonkers part of this episode, and he killed his father in this episode. So, I mean, that's a pretty high bar to clear. Grimes, over to you for some random notes. Well, you're definitely viewing this as like a psycho Bruce Wayne, I think. You're coming with a lot of Batman tonight, and I respect <laughs> he, that. He could have played Batman in the mid-90s. He's got the look. He's got the hair. Maybe he can now since Affleck is in the Weinstein camp of you know, things. He doesn't have the chin, though. He doesn't have the Batman yeah. chin. Not a strong chin. Uh, you guys watch This Is Us? I have not, no. No. Uh, uh, so there's an actor on there that uh, he is. He plays on the show a terrible actor from a sitcom called The Manny, where he's the man <laughs> who's a nanny, but he's also right. really hot. Uh, and uh, uh, before the Justice League film the other night, we saw it at a draft house, and they just ran through a history of all the failed like Justice League tie-in things. And like 15 years ago, that actor was the actor that they went with for a uh, TV pilot made by the Smallville people for Aquaman. And he played Aquaman and like Ving Rhames was his like, I'm going to teach you how to swim. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Alfred type guy. And I was just like, it's the Manny in Aquaman. These are like all my favorite C-level characters all in the same place. That that goes that goes in the Hall of Fame of uh, would-be castings along with whoever was cast as Batman in the George Miller Justice League. Who was that guy? Oh, right. It was like, um, it was somebody that ended up on a lot of TV. I've got the page up here. Let's see if I can actually find it. But like Adam Brody was cast as the Flash. I mean, it was like all kinds of just like crazy ass casting. Like Common mm -hmm. was Green Lantern. It's like all of this great. Oh, no. Um, Batman was Army Hammer. Army Hammer was going to play Batman. Oh, wow. oh come no on. Way. Give me that. I love that beautiful yeah. boy. That's God a, that, damn it. Especially <laughs> now with Call Me By Your Name, like, maybe he could retake that crown. Maybe he could actually be Batman. He's got a little heat now. That's cool. Army Hammer used to live in my old neighborhood in Los Angeles, and every time I saw him you for a number of years, <laughs> I, I, I looked for his twin. And I know he doesn't have a twin. I know the guy who played his twin right. uh, in the social network, but every time I saw him, I just looked for, where's the other Winklevoss? I can't break mm -hmm. myself of the habit. The, the guy who played his twin, that was Josh, what's his last name? Yeah, <laughs> Josh something because he plays Ra's yeah. al Ghul in the in Dark Knight Rises, like the young version, if I remember correctly. Oh, no it's way. like Josh something. I'll have to get the name. But uh, go on with your random notes before I fall down a Batman hole, Grimes. No, it's all good. I just kind of was like seeing it through Dexter, and then also um, Halt and Catch Fire's Joe McMillan. Yeah, give me some, give me I'm some of the comparison. I'm just watching that. Give me some of the comparison points that you found because I know you're a Dexter head. The first comparison was just, you know, the talking, the narration of like his crazy genius inner monologue that he has to deal with. And then literally the music and how they um, pan through his apartment the same way they did in that. So just aesthetically more Dexter. And then, mm -hmm. like you said, like the precursor for the stuff we have now, it just in 1996 these things weren't i mean the think about the other shit like in context what was popular home improvement um <laughs> like this got a melrose its lead-in was melrose place which is soap opera-esque enough that probably some people there was some soap opera elements to this show for sure like all the definite oh, the crazy nature of it <laughs> right and then like you said burning his dad and all these crazy ass convoluted things with every secretary and every character having like a subplot set up in the pilot and um I did think for that, for those reasons, it was good, but I did have to read your notes um, just to kind of like get some perspective. There were a lot of good quotes. Before I get into quotes, though, I will say uh, Prophet's cell phone for being in the 90s, that thing was like not that embarrassing. <laughs> I don't even remember it. He had a cell phone? 
Yeah, he was in the car talking to someone, and it looked like he had like a, a flip phone, like not to not a jumbo ass like Zach Morris, which a lot of times in TV they would fuck up things like that before your cell phones were ubiquitous, you know. But like watching X Files, you're always kind of waiting as they go through the seasons to find out when they get a cell phone. I don't know what season it's in. I don't even know if they like just skip over the introduction because it'd be so awkward. But I was like, a lot of their problems in that show could be solved by cell phone. But oh yeah, he, yes. he he uses a cell phone when he's like um, getting them all to meet at that hotel, and again, that's extremely convoluted plan that they have cooked up. Right, right. Like, like somehow he thought he knew that the brother and the wife would come out in the lobby and meet each other, and then the other brother would come in and think that the brother was banging his wife. <laughs> and yet the and other this would girl, all just happen magically at the exact same time because he yeah. wanted it to just like brock was saying earlier like he has that steve jobs kind of like reality distortion field mm. that's that's not the person i expected you to compare him to but i respect it <laughs> well he just like uses that. he uses it for evil shit instead of building ipods you know right let's yeah. be real the name steve jobs is not that far <laughs> from Jimothy Prophet. Jim Prophet, yeah. Prophet. <laughs> I'm Steve Computer. I still, I, I still can't believe his name is Jim Prophet. They could have, they could have still named the show Prophet and given him right, a normal right. name. Right, right, and then given him a damn he one. Does. He has Not in the nineties, though, dude. Not in the nineties. They had to be so on the goddamn nose with everything for people. And think, I mean, you're still knows. I'm a story producer. It's gonna. You're, you're spoon feeding. You're yeah, spoon feeding it to the network television people that now are old and love the Big Bang Theory because they think it's edgy. I'm gonna change my name to Chris Vinylman from now. On. <laughs> so, I just wanna. I just wanna match. Um, um, Bobby Briggs's dad is in this show from Twin Peaks. Brock, I noticed yep. that you saw that as well. I forget who he played. Oh, he played like an old sheriff or something, didn't he? Yeah, he's the guy that's like, well, didn't hear much of that boy. He was homeschooled or something. And he has a cell phone that is a suitcase that he wears on his hip. Like <laughs> <laughs> the the best part about that whole scenario is like when they're investigating the uh, Jack or whatever his name is, because Jack and Joanna are this investigati- investigative team. They And, of course, they used to be together. But anyways, um, she, he's like, I looked back 10 years. She goes, look back 15. He presses one button, and all of a sudden the article pops up that they need it. I don't know, Jack. <laughs> Do a little more legwork, man. It was a pretty easy solution. But uh, keep, keep going, John. Um. Yeah, just... Uh, that was my last really random note before some quotes. If you want to get into some linearama, uh, let's get into some linearama. Um, I've got a couple for you. I enjoyed not a lot of graduate students with tattoos because obviously, you know. Yeah, but it ends I'm up. I'm a graduate. That's how we became buddies. What what is it? What does it end up being? It ends up being like a cut or something, right? Well, yeah, because there was like uh, the surgery to remove it or something. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Keep going. Uh, the real joy is the solitude. I don't know who said it, but I heard it and I just wrote it down. Oh, you know that's Jim Prophet. He's a sol- he's a solitude the, uh, kind of guy. The love quote, of course, about uh, if if you want somebody obsessed, you close it. Um, if you work <laughs> if you work hard enough, everyone comes around. That was kind of like Kanye esque to me. I kind of <laughs> like uh, enjoyed that. That's more of that reality distortion. Like, if you just want shit and make it happen, it will. Do you think Kanye has profited his way through the hip hop world? Like, has he destroyed it? <laughs> has he destroyed mm. rap artists by like maybe like giving them a beat he partially stole from somebody else? Or like, I don't think you know, so. I think he's more of a Steve Jobs type. He's like in there late at night, like going through. It's not an office, but it's like you know the rat. He's had some like kind of three D rendering of the rap world. His real like name is, is Richard Rapp, actually, but he <laughs> yeah. changed it to Kanye West <laughs> to be cool. I, I like this uh, quote. You can have the TV, but remember, Mom, television's bad for you. Uh, Come, on. Come on. Spell out those themes, baby. Give them to us. Spoon feed us those themes. <laughs> you got any more? Uh, my last one was you can't run from your past. You can't run from yourself. It's like, well, yeah, you kind of can. I thought I thought there was also one where he said, and you can't run from me, you son of a bitch. Like, doesn't he say that <laughs> as well? That might be the there conclusion. Might well have been. You never really know what's around the next corner, and then they show him sleeping in a box. 
everything about I this guy is like little... the box, man. The box didn't freak me out. The box freaked me out, but in a good way. But I have one more line. Everything, uh, everything about this guy is a little too neat, like the perfect lie. There we go. I like it. Okay, <laughs> the box. Let's talk about the box. So Brock. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know what I'm asking here. I'm just gonna set no, you I, up. The I don't box. have any answer for you. No, it's it's on you guys. I I brought you this far. So the well, box, of I, course, uh... is from the childhood. But he do, he knows he doesn't. So the idea is that he's so beaten down by life and his childhood that he can't eat anywhere else except the box. Right. That's why nothing is eaten on the breakfast plate. It's that he had to bring it into. Uh, thus, I don't know why he's sitting at breakfast with the food, but anyways, and you never see him, <laughs> and you also never see him eating anywhere else, if you notice. So he has to bring the plate into the box to eat, and then he just kind of like leaves his trash around and replicates his childhood, right? Yeah, pretty much. Hmm. And that, um, I read into it a little bit, and I was like, that was kind of a metaphor or, or a physical manifestation of depression from childhood trauma. They're like showing how people end up like fucked up, you know, hoarders and weirdos and killers and people who set people up at work and ruin their lives like a Joe McMillan or a Draper, even to some extent, certainly profit. Um, well, you know, um, I can't remember where I read this. It might have been Wikipedia, but uh, there was apparently a featurette on the, um, I don't know why they call them that, a feature on the DVD uh, called Greed Kills. And apparently his childhood was based on research into into a real-life serial killer who was in that book, um, Whoever Fights Monsters, My 20 Years Tracking Serial Killers for the FBI, which is the basis of that new Netflix show, Mindhunter. So yeah. apparently it's based on a story in there where somebody was, you know, tr put in that cardboard box, an infant son in front of the TV set. So that I'm like so whole origin up. story is like an actual serial killer origin story. It's fucked up. <laughs> it's fucked Thank up, God. man. This world is crazy. It's no wonder. But um, yeah, the box to me, I just saw it as a metaphor. I didn't like I wasn't it was a little bit jarring, I guess, because he kind of. It was almost like, is this fool gonna start sucking his thumb? Is he gonna take it like? Was he sucking all his the thumb way? Hand? I thought he was. I think his hand was like up to his face, maybe. I don't know. I'd have to rewatch, but. I thought for um, a second he was sucking his thumb because I did think of that as well. I did put that in my. I notes think somewhere. between this and the mother thing, those two combined were both just like too much for for people. I would imagine in the mainstream. It is a lot. Like I, th I feel like this show would be a lot today, and we've seen some pretty weird, messed up stuff on television. Like, I, yeah. like there's some weird stuff in Mindhunter, and I think Mindhunter could only be on Netflix, like it, or you know HBO, Showtime, things like that. But you couldn't put Mindhunter on NBC, you know, or any anything like that. Not, no, no, no. Not just because it has nudity and that kind of stuff, but just because the subject matter is so. I mean, they dive into the deep end of the psychology of these killers, and they're kind of diving into the deep end of profit here. Like, again, the box reveal is something I would have expected in episode four, yet we get it right away. Right. We, it kind of gets the Draper has a real family type of treatment here, you know? Like, boom, right up front. And I also thought, too, like, not that Michael Scott or... Um... <laughs> Shit, I always forget his name. I'm in the curious where's the where this is going. <laughs> um, well, what I I'm drawing a the, blank the on Ricky guy. Gervais's the, the one, character's yeah. name. Yeah, but anyway, um, so like American audiences needed there to be like weird and awkward is fine, but you need a smooth edge to it. Like so, in England, their office was a little bit better, I would argue, because they let like the awkwardness and shittiness just hang. Whereas in America, like they had to make Michael like likable at some point. And I think that like profit is an example of where they just let shit hang and don't care how awkward and just like uncomfortable it gets. They almost like push and force it. And yeah, like it just wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't well executed. I think it was well intended and I like kind of where their heads were at, but I just think the execution here really got away from them. I don't know. I mean, I think the show's, I think the pilot's fine for what it is and especially for 1996. That excuses the music and, you know, things of that nature. I just think it was too weird 
for the everyday audience. Without any kind of like, okay, the weirdness. There's no redemption to him. He's just a fucking weirdo that sleeps in a box. And like, okay, cool, (laughs) but where are we going with that? Like, there's no like, I don't know. There's no like, um, there's no real digestible like like, Draper's cool. Tony Soprano's cool. You know, they do evil, immoral shit, but they're really cool, and you can relate to like wanting to be that. You know what I mean? Mm Hey, like this guy, Dexter, you're like, yeah. fuck, I don't want to be like him, you know? Yeah, but and Dexter is surrounded by more likable characters, you know? like Yes, yeah, it rounds out, like, the humanity aspect. It's almost like you're cheering for profit because everybody else in this company, besides the secretary that he again abuses, is just so despicable. Like, why, why shouldn't profit take these people down? Like, they suck. Like, right. let's do and- it. So I don't know. Like at least in All Mad the commentary Men, on like the you, man too. Yeah, like you have corporate. you have Peggy and you have these other characters that are that are redeeming qualities of the show. So a couple more little Wikipedia notes and then we'll do our end bits. Um, so apparently they were shopping a revival of the show around I don't it says July nineteen ninety six, but that can't be right. I think it was in the two thousands or something, and they said that the cable network Showtime had shown some interest. And uh, the Showtime original series with some similarity to Profit called Dexter premiered in 2006, and since then it's received awards and critical acclaim. So apparently (laughs) there might be a little crossover there. Uh, But they were pitching a revival at some point. And also a weird note that I found, a film called Cement that was directed by the guy who played Jim Profit apparently features a scene where the character Fergus watches part of the pilot episode of Prophet on a TV <laughs> and says this what? line, and says this line, it's eight, time for Prophet. <laughs> oh my god. What the fuck? <laughs> and I guess the scene also includes numerous shots of a fish tank similar to the one located in Prophet's apartment. Which so we never see again past the opening sequence. <laughs> uh, well, the fish tank, he like, he moves it. It's like a oh, right. like a hidden like wall, and he like opens it. So I don't think it's a real fish tank. But anyways, in in the previews, because I watched some of the trailers for the show, somebody shoots that fish tank at some point. So there is some straight up gunfire in Prophet's apartment. So I'm I'm gonna put my money on Nora. They didn't show who, who fired the shot, but I think it was Nora. Uh, so let's do our pilot study MVPs. Brock, kick us off. Who was your MVP of Prophet? Uh, the Fox Network for canceling it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Oh, man. I, I think I'm the most positive on this show. I had Joanne as my MVP. Again, the only female <clears throat> character they gave anything legit to. And I don't know. I, I, every time that woman was on screen, I was I was happy. Like, she always brought some energy yeah. and... She, you know, handled the professionalism of that um, of that investigator position very well. She was intimidating and it felt like she could take him down. And I think that was even though she was a little scared of him, it felt like she felt like the hero of this episode. I could get on board with her as the protagonist. She was kind of my Peggy, you know, of this episode. So I'm going to go with her. John. Well, uh, I went with Wayne Grisham, the dead man at the very beginning who died <laughs> so that Prophet could swoop in and get the job. But to be fair, I was I was uh, in the more Brock camp of shit, and I was way mad at the show already. And I was like, that guy's lucky. He's the MVP because he, he got, got to leave this pilot way he before out, me. <laughs> so we're to, believe but, uh, that, we're to believe that Prophet killed him, right? I would assume so. Yeah, yeah. Because it was like a heart attack just like his dad had and all that good stuff. I just want to see the killing. Don't show me the box and the mom kiss. Let me see three murders an episode. Then I'm in, you know, like Dexter. That would be pretty dope. Okay, I'm going to read one review. Um, We already talked that most most of the critics liked it. But I think I have to read the review where Profit was the number eight show of the year. And uh, this writer said, Fox, in the year's stupidest programming move, Fox canceled this strikingly original series after a scant four episodes. You probably don't remember, but Profit was a wittily bleak show about corporate shark and high-functioning sociopath Jim Profit, the magnificently oily Adrian Pazdar, who'd been raised in a cardboard box and parented by an always-turned-on-TV set, less a dig at big business. Than a fulmination against all media culture, Profit was the funniest scary drama of the year. Grimes, you have something at the bottom here. 
Yeah, I just wanted to welcome Brock to the Pilot Study Multi-Time Guest Club. (laughs) (laughs) He is in such company as Mike, Garth, and Alan. Alan Miller, MV writer, Garth Watson, childhood friend, and uh, Michael Escon Wallace, co-host of the MV podcast. And And Grimes' love interest on the side. (laughs) Grimes' love interest. I believe he's in the lead, Brock, so you have to come up with one more show to match (laughs) his three times on the program, because I think he's got three on you. So welcome, sir. You will receive a bathrobe at time number five, I think. A modern (laughs) bathrobe, maybe some slippers. That's true. You know, the the, uh, five-timer club on the MV podcast does get a mug. So I'll I'll, ex- hey. I'll I'll extend that to the entire universe, and uh, it wouldn't get you on five times. Um, You're halfway there, almost. Halfway there. Uh, any final notes? Did we miss anything, or are we ready to to bury profit and be done with this? Fox. I think we're ready to bury it. Okay. <laughs> A big thanks to Brock for joining us today, and of course, as always, thank you to Grimes for thank stomaching you, Chris, this Thank you, Chris, and episode. Brock as well. All right. Uh, of course, you can find us at our our now permanent home of fireside.fm i believe the exact i believe the exact address is fireside.fm/pilotstudy but you know like like a good soldier i'm going to give everybody the exact name here it is pilotstudy pilotstudypod.fireside.fm so i just had it reversed so go check us out there we've got all our episodes it looks all nice. It's got some cool new header images. And, of course, you can find us at Pilot Study Pod on Twitter, where we, are, where we were talking about profit today and some of the more ridiculous aspects of such and where we keep everybody updated on when episodes are going to drop and all that good stuff. So uh, any, any plugs? Um, Brock, do you want to plug either of your podcasts really quick? Uh, Missouri Loves Company and uh, The Coolest Kids. All right, and people can find those, of course, on iTunes. Grimes, do you want to on plug the your, iTunes? On your, uh, you want to plug your Instagram? I got Instagram, Grimes John. <laughs> Check it out. Donuts, dog pics, all that shit. And of course, a preview <laughs> for next week. Thanks for listening, up, man. Well, you'll have one shot. You better make it good. What are you waiting for, your girlfriends? You better go. You better go. Take it. Take your shot. Take it. And that's the premise behind Pilot Study. Oh.